when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything in South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And flying solo for this episode, but don't worry, got a terrific guest lined up. We got Josh Bertaccini there from uh, Arkansas, the Red Zone with JB. Uh, he really he hopped on the line here to talk some Razorback football, so you guys are really gonna like that. But before we get to our interview there with uh, JB, just wanted to say thanks again to all the people that uh, supporting this show. Numbers are going through the roof since I quit my job and going to video podcast. So uh, loving, you know, all the feedback we're getting. So if you haven't already, you know, this is a perfect time to mention, give us that five-star written review on the Apple podcast app. And if you've already done that, you're trying to get a koozie of your own, just uh, send that review on over to that SEC podcast at gmail.com and give us a follow, subscribe, whatever the hell it's called on YouTube. We do appreciate each and every one of those. And we're going to have a special announcement here coming up on the YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed already, uh, you guys are going to want to partake in, in what's coming down the line. So we'll probably wait another week or so before we announce that. But uh, there's still plenty of time before the season arrives to follow us on YouTube. And if you are following on YouTube, you get to see clips like this. Once this surfaced, Shane and I having second thoughts. Do we really want the Longhorns in our conference? If you're just listening to the show... Man, you've probably seen this viral clip already, but uh, I think it's it's got to be specialists because I couldn't imagine any other football players doing this, but it's three Texas players. One of them's on the back of another one, riding him like a bicycle, and then there's a Texas Longhorn on the ground acting as the pedals with his arms. So it is a sight to behold there in Austin, and uh, <laughs> we got some good traction on that on the social media, so... Uh, watch out for uh, them Longhorns there. Texas A&M tried to warn us. We didn't listen. They are coming one way or another. <laughs> but that's not the only video content uh, we wanted to share. Uh, one of the Missouri Tigers recently landed a scholarship. Eli Drinkowitz surprised him in front of the whole team. Check it out here. And hey, hey Richard. was uh, offensive lineman Richard Taylor there, uh, Georgia native, now's on scholarship, heading into uh, the upcoming season there in Como. So, you know, how can you not watch these scholarship reveals, even if you're not a fan of Missouri? You had to have liked that. Uh, I love more than just about anything is seeing these scholarship videos, these guys that work so hard for year after year after year, getting that scholarship, no longer have to pay their way through college. That's, I just thought that was fantastic. And one other thing here before we get to the news, uh, let's give a shout out to uh, Matt Wyatt, the former Mississippi State quarterback. Now he's got a really good radio show there in the state of Mississippi, but 
Uh, he issued out a tweet that went pretty viral here on Wednesday morning, just uh, you know, calling out the fact that uh, Mike Leach has really opened up his program, letting uh, the reporters, local people come and do their job and cover the team. And you know, the reason we pay attention to stuff like this is because a lot of these coaches, trust me, I'm talking to people down there at Georgia and Florida. Uh, they would love this type of access. They're getting basically nothing. Uh, and it's a complete 180 here in Starkville. So, uh, you know, really got to hand it to Mike Leach. And then also, you know, his doing what he can in the community, going to these events and bringing donuts to uh, the, the people that uh, are working hard behind the scenes uh, to keep everybody safe during troubling times here. So uh, just all around a, a great tweet here, I thought, by Matt Wyatt. There's so much negativity and, you know, we all gravitate towards the headlines that are bad, but uh, not enough attention paid to those that are doing things the right way. So, you know, say what you want about uh, Mike Leach being, he's kind of out there, but he's doing his part to uh, be fully embraced by the Mississippi State faithful there. So I just really wanted to call attention to that. All right, but next, uh, you know, before we get around the league here, don't have a ton of news on this show uh, one little item, though, we love to hit on all 14 SEC teams if we can, and sportsbetting.ag has given us that opportunity because they've released odds to win the division titles in the SEC East, SEC West. So we've got odds for all 14 SEC teams. And no surprise, Georgia favored in the East, Alabama favored in the West. Let's start in the East here. Georgia, minus 500 Big favorite to win the SEC East. No surprise to see the Bulldogs. Uh, of course, they're having some injury woes. We'll get to that in just a moment here. But uh, just an overwhelming favorite. And, and kind of the takeaway that I have from this, Georgia's even a bigger favorite to win the East than Alabama is to win the West. Of course, if you listen to the show, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. I've been saying that all off season. Georgia, far and away, my pick to win the East. I don't care how many damn they're <laughs> JT Dales is, is still good. That front seven's still good. Uh, I think the Bulldogs will be just fine, even if uh, you know things are looking a little dicier there for the Clemson game. But the second best odds to win the East, again, no surprise here. The Florida Gators, 5-1, to one, according to sportsbetting.ag, to win the SEC East. Gators won the East last season, nearly went to the college football playoff. Now a 5-1 to one team to repeat in the SEC East. Now, a little bit of a surprise here. Missouri, 9-1. to one. Uh, The hype continues to grow for Eli Drinkwitz and his program, and here's a great sign for it. I mean, the money's coming in from Missouri. I mean, clearly you know, not a ton of money, I would assume, because uh, this is more about Missouri being a threat. They don't want to get beat by a, a dark horse here to, to come out of the woods and surprise everybody and, and get to Atlanta. Missouri, 9-1. to one. Pretty interesting, but here's... My best bet on the board here, Kentucky, 20-1 to 1 to win the East. Now, again, when I say best bet, I'm not saying Kentucky's going to win the East. I'm not saying I would even put a lot of money on Kentucky here to win the East. But if you're looking for a long shot, maybe, you know, with this Will Levis, with, uh, you know, Darren Kennard kicking over to right tackle, that gives you a clear indication of what they have in left tackle. Darren Rosenthal, they got from LSU. A lot of pieces to like there in Kentucky, and that's before getting to arguably the best running back in the conference, Chris Rodriguez, and that Mark Stoops, Brad White defense. So a lot to like about Kentucky, 20 to 1. Those odds, those are off. I think those will change rather quickly once the money starts coming in. Tennessee, 33 to 1. Shane's putting down his buck right now. <laughs> 33 to 1. And we'll get to a little bit of a news here with the Vols. It sounds like Joe Milton behind the scenes has won the quarterback competition. At least that's the buzz. You know, I don't think they're, they've announced it. I don't know if they will announce it uh, prior to kickoff against Bowling Green. But all indications, based on what I'm hearing, Joe Milton has separated himself from Hendon Hooker and Harrison Bailey. So that's the latest out of Knoxville. Joe Milton sounds like, hey, 33-1. to 1. Clearly, the Vols are not going to win the East, but uh, going with the high upside potential there of Joe Milton, boomer bust type prospect. And this says to me that, uh, hey, Josh Heupel's not playing it safe. He's not going a conservative route. He's going to go with a guy that uh, has massive upside. And I may not uh, 
based on what I've seen from him at his time at Michigan there, he could cost you a game. He could just as easily uh, elevate your team with uh, an incredibly strong performance. So something to watch there in Knoxville. Looks like Joe Milton's going to be the guy. South Carolina, 66-1 to to win the East. No surprise there. I don't think even the most optimistic Gamecock fan, although they did get it, a, <laughs> believe it or not, someone, I don't think it was ever revealed, someone voted at SEC Media Days for South Carolina to win the East. I think they may even picked them to win the uh, SEC. So Shane Beamer must have slid a vote in there somehow. And then Vanderbilt, worst odds across the board, not only in the East but in the SEC, 200-1 to to win the SEC East. That may be worth a dollar or two for you diehard Vanderbilt fans out there. Maybe Clark Lee's uh, the next great coach. We do have some Vanderbilt content to get to here in a bit. So jumping over to the SEC West, Alabama minus 400 favorite to win the SEC West. So I think only the real takeaway there is uh, that Georgia's a bigger favorite to win their division than Alabama is in the West because a lot of times these odds, I mean, these are just the, the betting favorites, the public, where the money is going to go for them. So it's interesting, but I think even the, the betters are, they're not piling on the Crimson Tide like they normally would. Second here, no surprise, Texas A&M, 5-1. to one. So That's a potential uh, sleeper right there. I think that might be worth putting some putting some money on for the Aggies, 5-1 to one to win the SEC West. I could certainly see them doing it. And then again here, my pick to win the West, LSU 9-1. to Really good value there, although uh, things <laughs> ever since I picked uh, LSU to win the West, they're starting left tackle, booted from the team. One of the quarterbacks competing for the competition, out possibly for the season. So, hey, maybe I'm here for the kiss of death once again. But uh, LSU 9-1, to I like those odds. Auburn 16-1. to to win the SEC West. That's interesting to me. Uh, that's a stay away from me, given all the, the transition and uh, new coaching staff. And, you you know, unless Bo Nix is finally going to live up to that, that five-star hype, I don't know. I'm not buying the Tigers. Ole Miss, 20-1. to 1. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Again, I'm not saying Ole Miss is uh, necessarily going to be, you know, a huge factor in the West. But if you want to talk value, a lot of value in the Rebels there at 20-1 to 1 to win the West. Arkansas 50 to 1. What? And Mississippi State 50 to 1. So, again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Alabama. I think this uh, more than anything has to do with the fact that uh, people are just not going to be betting Arkansas and Mississippi State to win the West. Maybe not even a, a very good reflection of, of what is actually happening with those teams. More about there's just not many people flocking to Vegas to, to vote Arkansas and Mississippi State. Uh, because most betters outside of the SEC have no idea about anything about Arkansas, Mississippi State, fifty to one. Uh, I don't like those odds for either one of those teams. I think they should be significantly higher. But all right, that's enough of the odds. So let's kick it around the league. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. And Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, got to start here in Athens because, man, I don't know what's going on down there. Of course, Kirby won't open it up to the media, so it's hard to – Get any great intel, but uh, the latest news there from Georgia. Tough news here. Tight end Darnell Washington and nickel Tyke Smith, the guy they got from West Virginia, preseason All-American. Both of those players out, got injured in practice. Initial reports were not very significant. And now here on Wednesday reporting that uh, both those guys are going to be out multiple weeks. 
Kirby Smart has released a statement here. Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith sustained foot injuries during practice this week. They are both undergoing treatment and have an excellent prognosis. Their status is day-to-day. So, obviously not much to go off there, but just confirming the fact both those guys are injured. Obviously, that's just his nature. He doesn't reveal much of anything, you know it, but uh, I do appreciate him confirming that news. But what this does for Georgia, I mean, heading into such a big-time opener against Clemson, uh, according to multiple reports now, Washington and Tyke Smith unlikely to suit up week one against the Tigers there in Charlotte. And I'm seeing a lot of doom and gloom and all this. <laughs> Here, this is the thing about Georgia. This is something we've been saying all offseason. You lose a George Pickens. Now, now you're down a Darnell Washington. Now you're down a Tyke Smith. I don't – I mean, those are losses to be sure. I'm not discounting those players, but it does nothing to discourage me when you're talking about Georgia's season, their hopes, their title chances, nothing. Now, they may stutter a little bit here against Clemson. I still think they'll beat Clemson, but maybe just not by the 20 points shaded I are hoping they do. So, uh, not doom and gloom here. You lose. What are you losing? You're losing a, a guy that just got there that's never suited up for you. You're losing a tight end. I know Darnell Washington's a beast. He's, he's a huge breakout candidate, and this is unlikely to prevent him from breaking out this year, but I think he only caught like 10 passes last year. So, no, I'm not freaking out. We got Brock Bowers. We got Fitzpatrick there at tight end. We're loaded at receiver. Arik Gilbert, status up in the air. That's the only thing. If Darnell Washington can't play and Arik Gilbert is not available, which remains to be seen, hell, maybe he'll show back up you know, before the opener. I do not know, but uh, that's interesting. So depth is getting a little hit here, but I've heard JT Daniels say we go five, six deep at the tight end position. So I don't think there's any concern in Athens following this news. Uh, just It is a little troubling that we keep getting guys banged up. We've still got several receivers kind of nursing issues, but uh, at the end of the day, not concerned at all. Speaking about being concerned, what I might be, let's kick it all down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where, uh, <laughs> you know, Alabama's outstanding, uh, I don't even know his official title now. It's not strength and conditioning coach, but it's like doctor of science, technology, athletes, or something. I don't know what the hell this guy's title is, but Matt Rea, the uh, PhD down there, sent out this tweet. There's much more than just speed that makes Alabama wide receiver U, but consider the fact that in 2019 we had four first-round receivers and our average top speed this year in scrimmage one was .4 miles per hour faster than 2019. Tells you how serious these receivers are to carry on that tradition. So just the latest sign here, new names, the same old Bama down there in Tuscaloosa. That should be just keeping defensive coordinators up all across the country. Speed, speed, speed for Bill O'Brien to work with. Now the rest of us non-Alabama people just got to hope that Bill O'Brien doesn't know what the hell he's doing when it comes to call plays because if he does, looks like the rest of us are in trouble. We had to talk about this before we moved on from Alabama, but Kool-Aid McKinstry, the five-star corner, we saw this coming from a mile away, but it's official now. He has signed an NIL deal with Kool-Aid. So he has actually even changed his handle. They've they've surrendered Kool-Aid to him. So if you go to Twitter and you type in, you know, at Kool-Aid, you're going to get the Alabama freshman cornerback. Oh, yeah, big time down there in Tuscaloosa. So I just thought that was fantastic and uh, probably the best NIL, NIL deal we've seen come across the, in the SEC landscape to date, right there in Tuscaloosa. Next, let's kick it on down to Nashville. Anchor down. Clark Lee and uh, the Vanderbilt Commodores quietly going through spring practice here in Nashville the first time under Clark Lee, obviously. And new era, new energy, new excitement. And if you watch the spring game, it looked like Vanderbilt may have Alabama's offense. That's how bad Clark Lee's defense and the, and the Commodores looked. Jesse Minter is the defensive coordinator there. They got him from uh, the Baltimore Ravens. He was the secondary coach. And that was probably the most impressive hire I thought Clark Lee made when he was hired by the Vanderbilt Commodores. Then in the spring, you're wondering, oh, my God, is this guy in over his head? 
Well, now it looks like to be a complete 180 there in Nashville based on everything I'm hearing. The defense has been dominant. Uh, and given the fact you got Ken Seals, Mike Wright, you got Cam Johnson at receiver, there's a lot to like about that Vanderbilt offense, including uh, Davis, the uh, incoming running back transfer from Temple. So all the pieces are there. But the offensive line has, uh, from what I understand, been a, a real issue, even having troubles uh, snapping the ball here in the recent weekend scrimmage. So, you know, that's the tough part. When you're talking about training camp, you're trying to figure out, well, is the, is the offense really struggling or is the defense maybe just shining? Uh, the last couple of days, it sounds like it's the defense that has really sealed the deal and coming together. And that's got to be great news for the Commodore fans. And that's something that uh, – quarterback Ken Seals discussed here on Wednesday. How is the defense, you know, compared to like last season when you were going against them in practice? Uh, what's, you know, what differences do you notice? It, it seems like they're making, you know, they, made, they made a lot of plays. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think Coach Minner's philosophy and defensive scheme is like, is really like high level. And so it's, it's cool. You know, he comes from NFL systems. And so he's, you know, seems like a smart guy. And so getting able to experience that right now is like every now and then, like he'll, he'll obviously, you know, make a play on the offense and I'll get pissed off or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> watching the film, I'm like, that's crazy. Like the fact that they're doing some of the stuff that they do. Um, but yeah, I think we got dudes on defense that make plays and, you know, our front four, uh, the guys on the back end too, they, I mean, I think, our defense plays aggressive, and I think that's what we need. Yeah, when you talk about you talk about some of the pressures, obviously the Ravens are known for that a lot. Yeah, it seems like you're seeing a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we and we work a lot of like situational stuff in practice too. So you know, they they have the opportunity to get kind of crazy with uh, some of the stuff that they're doing, and um, it's you know, yeah, sometimes you know you don't really know what's about to happen. You're just trying to go through your progressions and find the first open guy. So uh, it usually ends up working like that. <laughs> So Ken certainly seems uh, impressed by what he's seeing on that other side of the ball. And, uh, you know, considering the fact that Derek Mason came as a, with a reputation as being a defensive guru and getting all these exotic looks, it's pretty interesting that Ken Seals is noting that uh, this defense is kind of more befuddling than anything he's seen there in training camp. So just wanted to make that note. And then Clark Lee also had some comments here. Really like uh, listening to this guy. He really seems to be incredibly uh, football intelligent and has a, a really way about uh, expressing what his vision is and everything like that. Uh, so let's kick it over to Clark Lee. And there's a, you know, a comment I want to make on the other side. You know, how far along do you think you guys are in terms of uh, dividing up the quarterback reps to where it's not just split three ways evenly uh, and all that? Uh, you know, I think it's day to day really with Coach Lynch. What he's doing is, is um, you know, who's taking the one reps, who's going with the twos, who's getting a third share, because it really is kind of split between two in a day and then a third guy getting, um, you know, kind of getting the rest. And really after Saturday, I think we'll have a pretty good feel of where things stand. And I think we'll, you'll start to see that reflected in the way, you know, we line up in practice. And again, I don't know that that means there's a, an announcement imminent after the scrimmage. It's just a, it's a matter of, um, you know, us practicing a certain way in preparation for that first game. I'm curious with that game against East Tennessee, what are your like primary goals of what you want to get out of that matchup? Well, I mean, we have to learn to, to play a game against an opponent. I think, I think it's limitless what we need to get out of it. Um, I've always felt, and, and really maybe, you know, just in the last maybe five, ten years, just looking at the season as a, a progression, right? So, um, you know, we'll be the worst that we are as a team in that first game because we'll continue to evolve as the season goes. But through the exposure, we find out about ourselves. Through the exposure, we find out about where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are. And then from there, as coaches, we get to kind of see the need, fill the need, and, um, and really evolve the team as we go. So I really wanted to play this uh, just for the simple fact that, uh, you know, I, I don't think we've talked enough about this. I know we have. When we talk about this season being – vastly different than last season's uh, weird year. I think Clark Lee is really hitting on something here that fans may not want to necessarily hear right out the gate, but, uh, and it's not just unique to Clark Lee. It's, uh, it's uh, all these first year coaches, Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina, the team they put on on the field right away is going to be the worst they're going to look. 
And as the season progresses, as long as the players buy in and the coaches are doing their job and everybody in the program is pushing in the same direction, uh, these teams should get better and better as the week goes on. And, you know, that may seem obvious, but that was not the case last season. I mean, it was basically like a war of an attrition, war of attrition, if you recall. I mean, once a team dropped a game, you know, in college, I know that can be devastating anyway, but with the COVID and everything and players quitting and opting out, whatever the hell you want to call it, uh, there was just teams, I don't know how they even made it to the finish line. And hell, Vanderbilt didn't, if you recall. They canceled their game against Georgia. They basically, the entire program gave up before the stretch run there. So if nothing else, I mean, we can hype up the upcoming football season more than, you know, we've been doing it for months and months and months. But this comment from Clark Lee, I think, really kind of hits on it, is the fact that if these teams are coached properly and the players can, are invested like they should be, even the football that we are dying to see, we've been waiting months and months and months, it's the worst we're going to see of the season. It's just going to keep getting better and better. And I just think that's a wonderful message and something that's got me fired up for uh, not only the season opener, obviously, but the weeks and months to come out uh, here this fall in the SEC. All right, so we're going to get to our interview here in just a second with JB. So let's kick it all down to Fayetteville. I just wanted to play a couple comments here from uh, Arkansas offensive line coach Cody Kennedy and their defensive line coach Jamel Ashley. New face there on the both new faces on the Arkansas Razorback coaching staff here, and they talk up, really talk up this defensive line, particularly uh, these incoming transfers that we've talked about. Two from Mizzou: Markel Utsi, Trey Williams, and of course the big man from uh, Illinois State, Ron Ridgeway. Look at some of these heights, heights and weights for Ridgeway. He's six foot six, three hundred twenty pounds. Markel Utsi, six foot four, two hundred ninety. And Trey Williams, six foot five, two fifty-five off the edge. Arkansas is getting beefier on that uh, defensive line, and that's something both their position coaches on the line of scrimmage have really noticed this training camp. Cody, one of the most intriguing positions on this team is D line. As Sam has said, got to get deeper, got to get better. You go against them every day. What, what are you seeing out of that group? Who, who's rising up? They've done it. Uh, they, they've checked the box, uh, you know, with the grad transfers that have come in, uh, Ridgeway, Williams. Um, you know, I, I don't want to leave guys out because, heck, they're, they're shuffling them in there and they're rolling. Uh, some, some guys that were higher up in the depth chart in the spring, you know, there's a lot of competition right there. And they're able to skate guys on ones and twos pretty seamlessly and, uh, but, you know, have, have a lot of threat out there. I, I think, you know, with, with the big man Ridge in the middle, uh, that's what we needed. Uh, we went out and were able to secure that. And then, obviously, you want to get to the edge and, and rush the passer. And I, I think there's a different look there, too. I, I think we've checked the box. I don't want to leave any of those guys out. You know, obviously, we've got some guys that have been here that are that are flashing, too. The Geralds, those type guys uh, that, that are flashing. And uh, so, man, it, it, it's impressive. And it helps us, um, obviously, with the, with the various looks. Uh, Coach Dodum puts them in. And uh, they're able to get get after the passer and and, and give me a little little bit of heartburn when I go to bed at night. So, uh, you know, they, they they've checked the box. Coach, uh, you got the position group. I think everybody's maybe the most intrigued by with the influx. Can you just talk about how things are going with the newcomers and and the guys who played before? Well, as a, as a group, I think those guys are out there working really hard. They come to work every day. They're uh they're just you know they're learning. They're helping each other grow, you know, and the ultimate goal is to, you know, develop and, and become what they want as a unit. Coach, the three transfers have been with the first group and we've been out there the last few days. Is that indicative of where they are right now or is that just continuing to experiment and rotate guys around? It's an experiment and rotation. We're just rotating guys just to try to look for different matchups and just see who we got to go to battle with. How nice is it to have a big guy like Ridgeway join you guys uh, to play inside there? Uh, it's it's extremely nice. It's always nice to have you know bigger guys that can you know hold up in the middle, give you a little push, and and guys, especially guys that work hard like Ridgeway and the other guys that are sitting in there. 
I guess if you're talking about the, um, the, the transfers, like Ridgeway and, and, and Mark Carroll and Trey Williams, could you maybe say something about each one of those guys separately, what you like about them, what kind of camp they've had? Okay. Uh, I, I'll start with, with Trey Williams. He, I mean, he's a very athletic guy. You know, he, he's a he's a great edge rusher. You know, he'll, he'll give you a presence, you know, coming off the edge. Uh, Ridgeway, he, I mean, he's a big guy, 326 pounds, I believe, you know, and it's just – He's a solid guy in the middle, you know, has the type of mindset that, you know, that we look for in the middle, just an aggressive guy, ready to, uh, to bang and battle, play in and play out. And then, uh, and then uh, Utsi, he's just, you know, he's an, he's an athletic big guy. You know, he's, a, he bring a little athleticism to, you know, the three tech spot and, you know, and he's also a banger and, and he's aggressive and he plays with, you know, good technique, good leverage and, and all those things. All right, so I just wanted to play those clips because, again, more time goes. People are wondering, why in the hell, Mike, are you so high on Arkansas? I mean, there's endless things to like about the Razorbacks. I think they're going to make huge progress this season on the field, and that's something we hit on with our buddy JB, Josh Bertaccini of the Red Zone. Let's kick it over to our interview with JB. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Josh Bertaccini Goes by JB, of course, the host of uh, The Red Zone with JB on 92.1 The Ticket. Got to give him a follow at Red Zone 921. JB, thanks for joining the show, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah, Michael. Great to talk football with you. So glad it's back, baby. It feels like it's back. Yeah, and isn't it great? We're not sitting here wondering, you know, are we going to have a season? How the, you know, how many games we're going to play? It's uh it's just full on football season, and and I'm just I'm just damn glad that uh, you know we're gonna get the tailgating, we're gonna get all the festivities, and yeah. and I think it's just gonna make this season that much more special, don't you think? I really do. No, I, I think you're right. I, I I think you know it's it's gonna be 12 games, like you said, and the logistics of it might be kind of a a moving target at times, but it's gonna feel a lot more real than last year, and I think it's gonna. And remind everybody how much we missed football in the first place. So, yeah, I'm pumped up, buddy, for sure. Now, I really wanted to ask you, uh, you know, of course, your show there in Arkansas, you talk to a lot of Razorback fans every day. How fired up is Razorback Nation for this uh, football season, given the, the progress we saw from Sam Pittman and company last season? Yeah, Mike, I think you um, I think you nailed it there with the segue, right? I, I think last year got people fired up a little bit. It had been – I mean, we're not exaggerating, five, six, seven years since the Hogs had really had people buzzing in a good way about the program. Not just a new coach, but some actual momentum on the field. And look, Michael, the first five, six weeks last year, Arkansas looked like one of the stunning surprise stories of the season. Obviously, they got out the gates, got two wins in their first four and ended up three and seven. Did make a bowl game. I know TCU had the COVID issue, so the game got canceled. But the point is, they made progress last year, however you want to slice it up. I mean, Sam Pittman gave them some respectability, some stability. They did not have the depth at the end of the year to take it to the next level, but it was the year that got some buzz going here in Fayetteville again. And now that you have a full off season and another recruiting class, I think this team feels like more like it's in the mold of a Sam Pittman identity type team. So uh, people are buzzing. People are excited. And I think, they definitely want to see more than three wins this year, Mike. They definitely want more than three. Well, if they're going to get it, it's probably going to be because uh, K.J. Jefferson takes his game up to the next level and, and Kendall Brown's offensive system you know, really hits a, a new gear this season. So I got to ask you the million-dollar question there in Fayetteville. K.J. Jefferson, do you believe in him? Do you think uh, you know? I've got him as, as probably one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the SEC. Do you think he can reach those heights this season? Well, I'll say this. If he's top three or four, Michael, I think Arkansas is going to have a good year. You know, now what a good year is, again, you and I can go back and forth. I think most of the fans I talk to would say win six games, get to a bowl game. There's no question that's progress. So, you know, what would that be? Two, three conference wins on top of three or four non-con. And the only way you're getting five, six, seven wins is, like you said, if KJ Jefferson plays like one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And I don't think you're exaggerating because I think we look around – the SEC, Mike, and right now, you know, there aren't quarterbacks who just jump off the page at you. And I'm not saying that the SEC historically has just had, you know, loaded juggernaut quarterbacks every year, but 
you know, there's the pedigree of some great ones. You think of Peyton Manning, you think of Cam Newton, you think of guys who've come through this league and, and buzzed up like Joe Burrow to the top of draft boards real quick. So, you know, it, it's kind of surprising to see how light on paper this league is this year at QB. You know, maybe Emory Jones has a huge year at Florida, and we're not talking enough about him right now. Uh, maybe LSU um, leans on Max Johnston, and he has a stunning season. But right now, I think you're more right than a lot of people realize. I think KJ Jefferson has a chance to be, you're not exaggerating, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He's a dual threat guy. We saw him put up, you know, fantasy game, uh, fantasy football type numbers in that game against Missouri to close out last year, where I think he had two rushing touchdowns, two throwing touchdowns, 400 total yards of offense. So I'm not going to say you put all the stock in one game against Missouri at the end of the season, but the fact that he looks so composed. And so ready to be the guy when Felipe Franks was hurt. It gives it gives you confidence in this guy right now. Now, I will say, Mike, that he showed up to camp, and I don't know if you saw the memes online, but he's a little bigger than we thought he'd be coming in. You know, KJ carries about two thirty pretty easy. I mean, he's a big boy. He's he's a legit six three. So when he's two twenty five, two thirty, you don't really notice it. But when he showed up to camp at two fifty, that you noticed. So uh you know, he wasn't in the best of shape, maybe, but supposedly he's been sweating it out with everybody in camp running to the front of the line in these drills the last couple of weeks. We don't get to see all of the drills. But if indeed he's, uh, he's taking off 10, 15 pounds real quick, you'll like that he's all over the playbook with Kendall Bryles. He has a good year, and he stays healthy. I think Arkansas is going to a bowl game. I think you're on the money, Mike. I think he's a good quarterback, good dual-threat quarterback for Arkansas. My man, KJ, he's just getting ready for these SEC uh, hits. That's all it is. <laughs> well, yeah, the extra padding doesn't hurt, Mike. It definitely doesn't hurt. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, Barry Odom. I mean, is it? I know they're in Fayetteville. We love the guy. He, he did a terrific job. But does it get overlooked? Do you think nationally how good uh, you know he you know the turnaround that he led there with the Arkansas defense? Because I mean, it we don't have to go back that far. Two years ago, three years ago, Arkansas was. You know, one of the most dreadful defenses I've ever seen in my life in the SEC. And then flash forward to last year, you got Jalen Catalan. He looks like a legit All-American. Grant Morgan was an All-American. And uh, now we got some some incoming linemen he's brought from the transfer portal from Missouri. So, I mean, is it getting overlooked the job that Barry Odom has done so quickly there in Arkansas? Yeah, I like that you bring up Markel Utzi from Missouri, right? A guy who can play off the edge, maybe be a run stuffer. They added Ridgeway from Illinois State. He's uh, he's definitely worked his connection with the transfer portal to help Sam Pittman restock the depth here a little bit. And, and you've mentioned that a couple times, and I have too. I don't think it's any secret to take Arkansas three, four, maybe even, geez, five years under Sam Pittman to fully rebuild the depleted core here. But, you know, Barry Odom gave it a shot last year. You're right. He was aggressive. He made decisions. And look, I, I'm not saying that a coach just changes the talent level on a team when he walks in the locker room, but I think you watch enough football to know that I, the same thing I know, which is having purpose on offense, on defense, being on the same page, not getting caught, you know, kind of in no man's land, especially on D when you can't decide whether you're going to be really aggressive and send extra pressure or sit back and tempt teams against the zone. We saw too many guys here the last five, six years, really get stuck in no man's land, like I said. And, and if you're depleted talent-wise and you're not very precise and specific in what you're trying to do on defense, you're going to get destroyed in this conference. And we've seen it at Arkansas, like you said, too many times. So I thought last year Barry Odom shows his poison well, right? Pick your poison. He got after it. He sent extra defenders. He played up in the box. You mentioned Grant Morgan, Bumper Pool, Hayden Henry. These guys had big tackle production seasons. But again, back to what we talked about five minutes ago, Mike, they had no depth last year. So by the end of the year, you could be as aggressive as you want. If you don't have players left anymore, you know, first, second stringers to make plays, you're not going to win too many games. So I thought Odom had a remarkable first season. I think he showed a lot of things to the players here that they can do. And now we need to see some young guys step up, maybe a couple transfers, like you said, but, you know, you can't have a great half season again. That was really good last year. That was better than we've seen in a long time. Barry Odom needs to find a way to keep this defense moving for 12 games. Because I'll tell you, you brought up Missouri, his old, his old school. 
until the Hogs beat Missouri in week 12, right, and find a way to end that six-year drought, I mean, I don't know how much progress you can talk about overall. you got to be able to beat Missouri. You have to beat them. So that in recruiting, you can have some self-respect again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a key game for the Razorbacks this season. But before we get to that one, I wanted to ask you, of course, week two, home game against Texas. This is the biggest home game for the for the Arkansas program since since when? That's my question to you. Yeah. Wow, good question. Good question. I might steal that from you one of these mornings and use it myself. Uh, I'll give you a shout-out, of course. But, no, that's a really good question. This is the biggest game for Arkansas since. I mean, I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go all the way back to Petrino. I won't do that. I thought Brett Bielema, his, his third and fourth year, it looked for a second like he was knocking on the door of respectability here before it all unraveled. I think Sam Pittman leaving um, for Georgia was part of that. Anyway, I'd probably say one of those Arkansas-Alabama or Arkansas-LSU games. Remember, Beals won one of those, and uh, the Hogs have played LSU well through the years. Petrino beat him a couple times, too. So, you might have to go back six, seven years for like a big-time Arkansas-LSU or a big Arkansas-Alabama game. But in terms of the non-con, I mean, I don't know. It's been so long, Mike. I mean, six, seven years at least. And for a really big non-con game, one where you sell out against a program that you know people nationally are aware of, maybe USC. I mean, Arkansas played USC back-to-back in 05 and 06. And that game sold out of the Coliseum, and then it sold out here in favor. I think it's the third highest crowd they ever had. So you might have to go back 15 years to really think about and answer your question for a non-con game as big as Arkansas-Texas in week two. And that's not just the history. That's also the fact that Arkansas is trying to go places this year and year two. And if you're going to make a bowl game, you have to win as many non-con games as possible. And I'd argue for Texas now that they're joining the league, Mike, now that that bombshell drops on all of us, I'd say they don't want to give Arkansas an upper hand in recruiting, heading into SEC play. So I think it matters to Sark as the first-year guy. Pitt is the second-year guy. It's going to be sold out. Oh, September 11th, 20th anniversary of that emotional day. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it right now, man. I am pumped up for September 11th here in Fayetteville. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, it could be college game day coming to town and – um, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've talked to uh, Anwar Richardson from uh, he, he works for the Texas Rivals site, and I, it's not him. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen a lot of people. They're saying, you know, the big game circled on Texas's calendar is week one, Louisiana. They're not even worried about Arkansas, and I think they yeah. are in for a real surprise when they come into <laughs> to Fayetteville. I mean, I, I don't give a damn about Louisiana. I mean, the, the Razorbacks would beat Louisiana yeah. 10 out of 10, so – uh, they they have no clue what they're in for, but uh, you mentioned Texas and Oklahoma coming into to the SEC. How do you think that affects Arkansas, and and how do you want to see this play out for the Razorbacks? Do you want it to stay at two divisions, or, or do you like the pods? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that start flooding into my head when you bring it up. I can't believe a month ago this was off the radar, and now it's like just a foregone conclusion that two college football powerhouses are coming to already far and away the most powerful conference in America. Um, you know, I'm glad that you get right into specifics. Like, forget, forget, the, uh, forget the notion of them coming. What's this going to look like practically? I, I'm kind of an old school guy in the sense that I like two divisions. I just think it's easier when you look at the newspaper, look at the website, whatever, wherever you're finding your standing to, to just have an idea of what you're looking at when it's four pods broken out four different ways i don't know maybe i just uh, maybe i'm not a good enough reader but it gets a little confusing a little busy so and then how do you de- how do you decide at the end of the year which two of the four pod winners are the best what is just overall record but each team played a different schedule so i don't know if that makes any sense either so me personally if i was making this decision which i'm obviously not paid to make i'd go two divisions i'd, I'd move alabama and auburn to the east where they belong and i would i would put missouri in the west and then yeah and then i think you uh you you add oklahoma and texas to the west right and all of a sudden you've got a spot where it kind of matches up and geographically it makes more sense so i'd probably go in that direction as far mike is you know we don't have all day but as far as arkansas 
I mean, money-wise, the rich get richer. If you're in the SEC, your SEC network uh, payments just went up from, what, $40 million to $65 million a year. So it's a billion-dollar TV conference now with a B. And if you're in the league, that's a win. You know, I talked to a number of folks here at the U of A, including the, um, the athletic director, Hunter Yurzek, last week. And he said that it's he said it's 100% a win in his opinion that Norman Oklahoma immediately becomes the most proximate, the closest campus in the SEC to Fayetteville. So that's a good thing. You now have a campus that's only three hours away instead of Columbia, Missouri, which is five hours away. So that's cool. Texas itself has actually, Michael. Here's a little nugget: the state with the largest alumni base for the University of Arkansas is Texas. So you have so much connection to Texas. And now you get fans down there, even more reason to follow their team and maybe be a little more interested in Texas and who they're playing than they were previously. So I think those things are wins. I think logistically it's going to be a little difficult, but I think from a recruiting standpoint, Arkansas's already got enough inroads and street cred in this league that even though it's a smaller state with their facilities, they're not going to go off a cliff. I'll tell you what, I think the South Texas, because now they get on more even footing with A&M, I don't know about Oklahoma, though. I think the Sooners, their cakewalk schedule that puts them in preseason two or three every year, I think, I think, oh, you fans are about to get a wake-up call. I don't think they're going to have too many more 85% regular season win percentages. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, you know, I agree with uh, everything you just said right there. I, I didn't know that stat about uh, Texas. That's a great one. And I just think yeah. that uh, now the Razorbacks are going to be able to guarantee – a game in that state every year, you know, of course, uh, not counting the Jerry World game. And I, and I think, you know, Arkansas will never lose a battle again you know, on the recruiting trail to, to, to Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State, yeah. teams like this, they're done. Yeah. So uh, all around good news for the Razorbacks. And last thing I got for you, JB, any, uh, any buzz about uh, either new players emerging for the Razorbacks or maybe just uh, guys we already know and, and maybe taking their games up to a new level uh, based on uh, anything you're hearing out of camp? Yeah, I mean, it's good questions right there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're at that point in the season now, right, or in the preseason where legitimately every position battle matters because these are the guys we're going to see in two, three weeks. So uh, special teams is a really interesting area for Arkansas. They've been bad there for a while. I mean, they haven't kicked well. They haven't covered punts and kickoffs well and they haven't returned well so Scott found with Sam Pittman's boy from Georgia and after a week first year last year Pittman said oh no he's definitely coming back we got to get to work here so the talk has been Arkansas is going to be better Cam Little is going to be their place kicker he's a true freshman uh, one of the first hog kickers to get a scholarship in I think over 10 years so that was uh that was an interesting nugget to find out also Greg Brooks who had you know one of those six interceptions against Matt Corral in that game against Ole Miss last year. Really good nickelback. He's going to be their punt returner, which I find fascinating. Apparently, he's got the quicks and he's got the instincts, and he returned punts in high school. And he talked to Sam Pittman and Scott down the special teams coordinator after the season last year. He said, I want to get my hands on the ball more. How do I do that on defense? They said, why don't you try returning punts? And apparently, he has literally taken that job and run with it. So can Arkansas be better? On special teams next year is, is a big rhetorical uh, response I have to you. And then another name I'd give you, a guy just in general. I know you brought him up in passing, but Jalen Catalan, man. This guy, he's smart. He's a leader. He plays hurt. He tackles fundamentally sound. You got NFL scouts talking about him as, you know, a top couple round draft pick already. Arkansas isn't exactly safe to you in case people haven't realized. So, I mean, to have a guy back there, it's kind of like a linebacker free safety all rolled into one. Uh, it's just enormous. And you saw last week Steve Atwater inducted into the Hall of Fame, the greatest far and away Razorback safety of all time, and one of the NFL's greatest safeties of all time. I, I don't immediately mean to put Jalen Catalan's name in the same kind of sense as Atwater, but he's got the same tenacity and fearlessness and love for the game. Maybe an inch or two smaller, but a lot of people around here compare him to Steve Atwater. So, look, 20 years from now, we'll see if that comparison rings true. But just the fact that he's in that conversation, Mike, that tells you the kind of respect that people locally and nationally have for Jalen Catalan. So, hopefully he stays healthy and has a big year for Arkansas defense because if he does, they should be a really solid defense. 
Yeah, one thing before you go, you know, you mentioned Matt Corral. It's been almost a year. Every time I mention him, doesn't matter if it's an NIL, doesn't matter if it's a practice clip, it doesn't matter what it is. If I put it out there, my mentions get flooded with Razorbacks saying, well, hell, he just threw another <laughs> interception. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and yet everybody says he's the best quarterback. I don't know if I believe that. You think he's the best quarterback in the league? Come on now, I don't know. I got him up there. I got him as one of the best. I think Barry Odom, again, going back to, you know, what a great coach he is. I think he figured Giffen out. He figured Mike Leach. He exposed Mike Leach last season. So he is just one hell of a coach. And I I think the Razorbacks are lucky to have him. Yeah, me too, Mike. I love talking to you. We need to do more of this, my man. Absolutely. Well, he's Josh uh, Bertaccini. Check him out at Red Zone 921 there. And got to check out the show, The Red Zone with J.B., I really appreciate you hopping on the on the show with me here. Absolutely, Mike. Six to nine on the daily, ninety-two on the ticket.com if y'all if your folks want to check it out. And we'll talk soon, brother. Your boy Michael comes on my show too. He's phenomenal, isn't he, folks? Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon, buddy. All right, I hope you guys appreciated that uh, interview there. I kind of joke with old JB that uh, old country guys like myself. We call him JB for a reason. We can't uh, pronunciate his last name. So I really do appreciate him hopping on the line. He's got one hell of a show that uh, I'm on quite often there in the state of Arkansas talking some Razorback football. So, hey, that's all I got on this episode of the show. Shane likes to ask at the end of all these, how much longer we got till football? As of this recording right here, we got 16 days until the first SEC Saturday. This thing is right around the corner. This is going to be the best year yet with the YouTube, with the podcast. We've got sponsors this year that are going to make the show bigger and better and ongoing negotiations with other sponsors. So this is going to be one heck of a year. I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out and taking this journey with us. And I promise you the best is yet to come, but that's going to do it for this episode. Catch you on the next one.